Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. one of which is my birthday, and I only wish I was still 25. That would be amazing. Um, I also just have to say we're not just celebrating my birthday today, but Pastor Jessica Parham, who's going to be hiding behind the soundboard up there, today is her birthday, and she is just like Olaf. She loves warm hugs. So if you could find her after service and give her a hug and tell her happy birthday, it would absolutely be the one birthday wish that you could uh, meet for Jessica. She's going to kill me. Anyhow, I love summer. I love summer for so many reasons because my kids are off school in summer, which means that I do not have to make school lunches. It means that we do not have to get up at any certain time. There's no pressure. And for those of you who know me, I am just slightly a spontaneous person. And I really love the idea that there are no set rules for summer. I love it. And we celebrate summer big time in our house. I have the privilege of being able to work from home. And so oftentimes I'll just take my laptop up to the pool. We'll pop up an umbrella. The kids will go swimming. It is amazing. And if you ask my kids what they wanted to do during the summer, usually we say, you know, we live in Orange County. Do you want to go to the pool or the beach? And my family back home in Texas and Missouri, like they laugh, they mock me for even asking that question. Because we live in Southern California where people pay big money to come and visit the beach. But if I ask my kids, do you want to go to the pool or the beach? Almost every single time they would choose the pool. I don't understand it, but almost every single time they would choose the pool. And as we're jumping into this summer series, I want to talk to you about a man who spent a great deal of his life lounging beside a pool. So if you have your Bible with me, you can turn to John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. If you have your Bible on your iPhone, you can use that too, or you can just read it on the screen behind me. But I'm going to tell you the story about a man in John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. And it says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Those are places that people can sit under, a covering. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, sick people, right? This pool of Bethesda is a very famous pool in the Bible, and it's been excavated since, and they found that it looks exactly like it was described in the scripture. But let me just tell you a little bit about this pool. The pool of Bethesda was a place where the water gathered in the center of the town, in the middle of the temple area, and it had, there was a legend. Whether it was truth or a legend, we do not know, but there was a story that when people gathered there, the lame, the sick, the paralyzed, the blind, they would come to the pool of Bethesda. Hello. We're just making sure you're awake. And occasionally... An angel of the Lord would stir the water, which means the water would get, like, rumble a little bit, right? We know that doesn't happen in a normal pool. The water would rumble, and the first person to get into the pool would be healed. 
Now, we don't know if this was a true thing that happened, if an angel of the Lord really did stir the water or if it was some other occurrence. We don't know if it was, was truth or legend. We know that God does things in unusual and unexpected ways, but just because it's unusual and unexpected does not mean that it's God. But we do know, we do know that a great deal of sick people gathered here at the pool of Bethesda hoping to receive healing, right? So here we come upon this man. And it says one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Wow. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And here's a secret for those of you who don't know. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows every thought that you think, every situation you've walked through. When Jesus came upon this man, he knew that this man had been here for a very long time, 38 years to be exact. And Jesus says to the man, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. It's a funny question that Jesus asked, isn't it? He's at the pool of Bethesda where hundreds of sick people come to try to receive healing and he sees a man who has been there for 38 years, and Jesus knows he's been there a long time, but yet he asks the question, do you want to be healed? And we might think that that's a foolish question for Jesus to ask, but the thing is, Jesus never asked a foolish question in his life. He was always very intentional about the questions that he asked. And he says, do you want to be healed? And I just wonder if he asked that question, because there are some people, maybe you can relate with this, who just don't want to be helped out of their weaknesses. Maybe they love their weaknesses, they're, they're comfortable in their helplessness because it's what they know. Maybe there's some people who are concerned that they wouldn't have the attention of others if they didn't have the weaknesses that they were struggling with, and so they don't necessarily want the help that they need. Maybe you can identify with that. And I think Jesus just knew that you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe you've had a friend who's been walking through um, just crisis or just has lots of problems that come up in their life, and, and they begin to share with you the problems and the crisis, and you go, okay, and as any good friend would do, you start to think through the solutions, right? And you come up with a, okay, what if you tried this? And then your friend can tell you 10 good reasons why that wouldn't work. And so you come up with another solution. Okay, okay, okay. What if you try it this way? And then they tell you 10 good reasons why that wouldn't work, and you just throw your hands up in the air like, I cannot help you. Have you ever been there? Yes? If you're not saying yes, you might be that person. <laughs> but I think Jesus knew you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. And the thing that you need to know about God, maybe some of you are here today just um, giving God an opportunity or a chance. You need to know that God will not force himself on you. He is not pushy. Jesus is never pushy. He never tries to get his way with us. He waits for us to be ready. And he is infinitely patient. So much more patient than I ever am. Jesus is patient with us. And so he asks this man this question. Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answers him. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am trying to drag myself down there, another goes down the steps before me. In other words, what's this man saying? Yes, I want to be healed, but I can't. I have tried everything I know. I want to get in that pool. I want to do it. I want someone to help me. I want to be healed, but there's nobody to help me. Nothing is working. 
I've lost hope. Can any of you relate with that today? Have you ever walked through a situation, maybe something that you've been praying for or believing for, and you just feel so frustrated because it doesn't matter how long you've waited and it doesn't matter how much you've prayed. You just feel like, I've done everything I know to do and I can't. Maybe it's an addiction that you've been struggling with and you think, I've done everything I know to do and I just can't beat it. Maybe it's sickness and you've been praying for healing, maybe in a loved one or in your own body, and you just say, I've done everything I know to do, and I just am not seeing the answers. There's this discouragement and this frustration that comes when we feel like our prayers are not being answered. And we hear this in the sound of the man when he answers the question. He's saying, yes, I want to be healed, but I can't. He's struggling with his belief. His belief system is in a crisis. I don't know about you, but maybe you've walked through something like that where you felt a little bit hopeless. Maybe where you've stopped praying for something because you just haven't seen the answers that you were hoping for and believing for. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in the church. You know, since I was a baby, I've been in the church. And so I know that God is my hope. I know it. I know that I know that I know that God is the author and keeper of all of his promises. I know that I can put my hope in him. I know it here, but I don't always know it here because it doesn't always feel that way. And maybe you're like me and you've struggled with your belief, but you're drowning in your doubt because you're too ashamed to ask for help because you know that you should know better, but you don't really know that God is a God of hope and possibilities, that what feels impossible, God says, is possible. Maybe some of you have become so disillusioned with the dream or with the thing you were praying for and you just haven't seen it come to pass and so you've just busied yourself doing other things to distract yourself from the disappointment that you feel because you haven't seen the answer to prayer yet? I don't know about you, but this man had been there for 38 years. 38 years he came to the pool of Bethesda just hoping to be healed. And then Jesus comes and he says to him, do you want to be healed? And his reply is all of these excuses. And I don't necessarily know why he made those excuses. I don't know if, if it was a pride thing, like I just want to be able to do this myself. Like I want to be able to drag myself to the pool and get in myself so that I can say that I did it. I don't know if it was a pride thing for him. You know, I have a friend who, who does not uh, believe in God. And, and she told me that religion is for weak people. And I was like, yes. Yes, it is. Are you under the illusion that you are not weak? <laughs> and, and she was apparently under that illusion. But we're all weak in some area, aren't we? But the Bible tells us that when we are weak, he is strong. When we know that, when we have a relationship with God, it's like getting in the pool on a hot summer day and having a chicken fight, but we're getting up on the shoulders of God, right? Because when we are weak, he is strong. I don't know if maybe the struggle to pray and to believe for what God could possibly do in your life is a pride issue. Maybe it's just something that you want to try to figure out on your own. and You don't want to let down your guard and possibly appear weak. I don't know if this man was struggling with a fear of having an expectation that something could change. 
I wonder if he had just been disappointed so many times that he was struggling through just so much doubt and so much fear that if when Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed, if he said yes, he was maybe just afraid that he would be disappointed again. I don't know where he was at. I don't know what kind of disappointment he was feeling, but I know that I've been there before. And I wonder what you have stopped praying for and believing for because you don't want to be disappointed again. I wonder what you have stopped praying for and believing for because you don't want to be disappointed again. Is it a relationship? Have you walked through a messy divorce and, and you just have a fear that you could never have the right kind of relationship again? Is it your finances? Have you just struggled for so long that you've come to this conclusion that it's just not going to get any better than this? Is it your kids? Are you praying for something for your kids that you just haven't seen happen? Maybe it's a dream that you just haven't seen come to pass. I don't know what it is for you, but I wonder what you have stopped praying for and believing for because you don't want to be disappointed again. Maybe you've just resolved that it's always been this way, it's always going to be this way, and I think this is where this sick man was. And maybe you just keep, he kept showing up to the pool like we show up to church on the backs of someone who is willing to carry us there but with no real expectation for something to change. You see, this sick man had to rely on his friends to bring him to the pool of Bethesda every single day for 38 years. But I wonder if he just got to a place where he thought, my life might not ever change. And I wonder if maybe you might be here today on the backs of a friend who drug you to church, who said, you got to just show up, you got to give it a try, but there's no real expectation that this God that we talk about could actually do something real in your life. You see, this sick man does what nearly all of us do. He limits God's help to his own ideas. And he does not dare promise himself more than he conceives in his own mind. And how often do we do that? Limit God to our own ideas and not promise ourselves more than we could conceive in our own mind just because we don't want to be disappointed again? You know, there's a famous box called God is... Uh, a famous box. <laughs> there's a famous book called God is Too Small. It's not a box. It talks about boxes. For many of us, we create a small God, and we try to limit him to whatever box we try to put him into. It's how, what our understanding of God is based on. And I don't know about you, but maybe your box has been defined by a limited understanding of who God is. Maybe you just don't know the fullness of who God is. You know, when we moved to California, um, we started to make friends. We didn't know anyone when we moved here. And, and I was hanging out with uh, some of my, my kids' friends' parents. Does that make sense? I think we were at the park having a play date. And I was sitting there talking to this woman who was opening up to me, as people sometimes do when you're a pastor. And, and she was opening up and just telling me about some challenges she was facing in her marriage. And I said, well, could I pray for you? And she goes, oh, no, no, no. Don't pray for me. There's so many more people who are in a worse place than I am. And I was like, God's not limited on prayers. They're kind of like unlimited. We can, we can pray about it. And she's like, no, 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 there's, there's so many more people. I, I, don't, I don't need you to pray about that. And I'm thinking, do you not know 
that God is capable of intervening in the smallness of this situation that you see because to him it's just as important as the large things that you're comparing it to? I had another friend who was struggling. She had a, a lump that was removed, and she was worried and anxious about the diagnosis. And I said, well, let me pray with you. And she goes, no, no, no. There's so many people that are in the hospital that are dying of incurable diseases. You don't need to pray for me. Pray for them. And I'm like, I can pray for all of you. And, and she struggled with that whole concept because her limited understanding of God said, there's, God is only important in the big situations, not in the small situations, but God cares about the details of our life tells us in Philippians, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Sometimes we limit God to our own understanding. Maybe the box you limit God to has been defined by your past experience. Maybe you feel like, I've been let down before, I'll be let down again, why should I even believe? Maybe the box that you limit God to is defined by your failures. And you feel like you don't have the right to pray for God to do something in your life. Because the lot you've been dealt, you deserve. Yet God doesn't look at your past. He looks only ahead at your future and says, I've got good things for you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I've got good plans for you. Good plans of a hope and a great future plans to prosper you and not to harm you. God's got good things for you, but maybe you've limited God by your own failures, feeling like you don't deserve to even pray for him to do something big in your life. I don't know where you're at, but I feel like so many of us come to this place where we just resolve, it is what it is. And I heard a great preacher last week say, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Faith would tell us, it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Because you see what happened that day at the pool of Bethesda when this man had been laying there for 38 years. It is what it is. But Jesus walked into Jerusalem. And how many of you know that when Jesus comes on the scene, things change? Things get stirred up. Jesus can do things in your life that you never expected him to do. And so Jesus comes on the scene in Jerusalem. He walks in. He knows this man has been here. He says to him, do you want to be healed? The man gives all of his excuses. And then guess what Jesus does? Jesus says to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And what happened? The man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Get up, pick up, and walk. Everybody say, get up, pick up, and walk, and walk. Get up, pick up, and walk. When Jesus came on the scene, he brought the power of God into that place. And even though this man was discouraged, even though he was disillusioned, even though he had so many doubts, when Jesus came in and said, do you want to be healed? He then said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Get up, pick up, and walk. Why is that important? Because when Jesus said to this man, get up, it required a certain level of faith for this man to believe that the impossible could be possible. For him to get up off his mat and believe that he would actually be able to stand. It required faith. Faith is believing in something you don't see. That is the essence of what faith is. Believing in what you do not see. But the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. 
So as we're praying and we're believing for God to answer a prayer, it's not just the words of our mouth, but it's the action that's associated with it. So Jesus said to this man, get up. And in essence, what he is saying is get your faith to its feet. It's time to start believing in the impossible again. It's time to start believing that God does answer prayers. It's time to start believing that you're not too far gone, that you haven't made too many mistakes. It's time to get up, stir up that faith and expectation again for God to do something in your life. You know, there's a story in the Bible about a man named Abraham. And God had promised this man, Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations. But Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were old in years. I mean, they held on to that promise year after year after year after year. Yet they never had a child. And then one day, when they were about 100 years old, God, an angel of the Lord, shows up and says, you're going to have a baby, and they laugh. Because that seems ridiculous, right? But I love the fact that we look at the book of Romans, and one of the great men of faith is Abraham. And it says this in Romans chapter 4, verse 17 through 21. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, so this is talking about the God that Abraham believed in. It says this in describing God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Hey, listen to me. That sentence right there is describing who God is. It's describing his nature. It's describing what he's like. It's saying this is the God that Abraham believed in. Here's what that God is like. He's a God who gives life to the dead. How many of you have had a dream in your heart at one point or another and you feel like that dream has died? This is a God who gives life to the dead. Calls into existence things that do not exist. The prayers that you once prayed, the things that you once hoped for, the dreams that are still kind of stirring in your heart, but you feel so discouraged that they might not ever happen. This is a God who gives life to things that do not already exist. And it says this, that Abraham, in hope, believed against hope. He was discouraged. He was frustrated, just like you and me. I'm sure there were multiple times of doubt when he didn't know if it would happen. But it says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be, be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. You guys, that's huge. He's about 100 years old, and he's about to have a baby. He's looking at the circumstances and going, this is going to be a really big deal, God. Because everything about my circumstances would tell me that this isn't possible. But it says he didn't waver in his faith. It says no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced. Hey, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced. See, Abraham had this confident expectation in God. He had a confident expectation. And what I'm not here to tell you is that this was a man who never struggled with doubt. I'm not going to get into his whole life story, but the man struggled with so much doubt. Many times he tried to take the situation into his own hands. But he just kept coming back to the fact that he believed in a God who had made him a promise, and he was going to hold on to that promise as long as he could until he saw God do something about it. And some of us need to get that kind of resolve in our spirit again. Just like Jesus said to this man, get up, we need to get up in our faith and begin to go, you know what? 
I am going to hold on to the promise that that dream could come to pass. I am going to hold on to my faith that my marriage can be healed. I am going to hold on to the promise that God is Jehovah Jireh, which means my provider. So no matter what financial crisis I might be in, he is my provider. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to get up in my faith again and begin to expect that God is the author and finisher of all of his promises. He keeps his word. And Abraham became fully convinced of this. Some of you are going, I don't know that God has given me a promise. Well, listen, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you don't know the promises of God, they're right here in this book. Begin to get to know them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And God wants to stir your faith and expectation that he actually has a plan for you that he actually has good things in store for you, that the things that you're praying for, he hears your prayers. It's time to get up. But the next thing he said to this man was he said, get up, pick up your mat. What does that mean? It means this man now has to get up to his feet with faith and expectation that he is being healed. But Jesus does not leave it there. He says, pick up your mat. Why does he say pick up your mat? Because he's removing any fallback plan that this man might have. He's saying you're not coming back here tomorrow. You're not coming back here next week. You're not coming back to church next Sunday the same way you were when you came in this Sunday. Pick up that mat. He's saying pick it up. You don't need a fallback plan. You can step out in faith knowing that you are healed and you do not have to come back to this pool again and lay down on this mat and beg. You are done. It's time to move forward. And I think some of us need to learn what it is to pick up. But maybe the reason that we hesitate to pray bold prayers is because we don't know what steps of faith these prayers will force us to take. Faith without works is dead. So when we get up in our expectation and we begin to let God stir our faith to believe for the impossible again, we don't always know what steps of action that will be required of us. And this man had to pick up this mat where he'd been for so long. And maybe some of us in this room need to pick up our mat. Stop staying in the place of doubt and discouragement and despair. Maybe it's time to pick up the mat. If Jesus says he's going to do it, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to rise up, pick up that mat, and move forward. Hey, listen, if you are believing for a breakthrough in your finances, maybe it is time to pick up that mat to burn the fallback plan, cut the credit cards. Maybe it's time to start applying the word of God and the principles of God to your finances, to tithe, to bring the first 10% to God and trust that he'll do more with your 90 than you could ever do with your 100. Why? Because it's what the word of God says. Pick up that fallback plan. Get rid of the mat. Maybe some of you need to pick up the mat in your marriage. Maybe you need to stop saying, I'm praying for God to change my marriage, but every time that man <laughs> or that woman Maybe it's time to just start honoring, to start preferring, to start loving, to start doing the things that are difficult to do when you're being treated poorly. It's time to pick up that mat, to quit saying that there's other options. Burn the mat. Maybe it's time. Some of you in this room have adult kids, and you keep praying and believing that God's going to do something amazing in the lives of your kids, and yet they keep struggling, and they keep falling back on the same things. Hey, listen, maybe it's time to stop picking them up. Maybe they need to learn how to trust God and not you. I'm just saying you might need to pick up that mat 
and stop returning to the same place over and over again. Some of you are believing for a child. Some of you in this room have been praying and believing and you're trying to get your faith stirred up. And to pick up the mat means I'm going to pick up that mat and say, I'm not going to stay in a place of doubt and despair. I'm going to pick up my mat. I'm going to get moving. Maybe you need to love on some of the kids in our children's ministry to teach them the truth of the word of God. I don't know, but there's something that's going to be attached to our faith. Something we're required to do because faith without works is dead. Maybe some of you have been battling an addiction and you're like this man who has been at the pool for 38 years and you feel discouraged and you feel like you can't ever overcome this struggle that you've been in the middle of and you're just, you feel like I've tried everything I know to try. But maybe it's time to pick up the mat. Get rid of the fallback plan. Burn the mat. Pick that thing up. If you are struggling with an alcohol addiction, you need to go pour it out and you need to ask for help. Maybe some of you are struggling with a drug addiction and you're afraid to admit it, but you need to bring some, those drugs to a pastor and hand them off or flush them down the toilet. Do something. Ask for help. It's time to burn the mat. Get rid of the fallback plan. Whatever it might be, maybe some of you in this room are struggling and you've been feeling so alone and you've been praying and asking God for a friendship or a relationship and you just aren't seeing the answer yet. It's time to get up in your faith and expectation that God has good things for you. And it's time to burn the mat of feeling isolated and feeling insecure and always coming to this place of doubt and discouragement. Hey, listen, if you want a friend, go be a friend. Pick up the mat. God wants to stir up our faith, but he also wants us to pick up the mat and stop going back to the old place of doubt and discouragement and fear and condemnation. It's time to pick up the mat. And then he says to this man, walk. Get up, pick up, and walk. What does that mean? It means no more lounging by this pool. It's time to go and do something. You see, one commentator presented the idea that an eastern beggar loses a good living by being healed of his diseases. Why? Because for 38 years, this man relied on people to bring him to the pool of Bethesda and to lay him on a mat. He relied on people to provide him with money, to provide him with food. And so for someone who has relied on people to do that all of his life, this answer to prayer, this healing that Jesus offers him, is not going to be completely comfortable. It's going to present some obstacles. This answer to prayer is going to come with some hard work. He's going to have to go and walk. He's going to have to start doing things that he hasn't done for 38 years. He's going to have to get a job and make a living to provide the food that he needs. So to walk means I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. You know, last week, Pastor Kerry preached a message, and he talked about how often we prefer predictable pain to uncertain gain. Sometimes God tries to wake us up and stir up our expectation, but we prefer the guarantee of what doing nothing brings. As bad as our current situation is, at least we know it. At least we're familiar with it. It won't surprise us. Sometimes we can be more comfortable in our present misery than taking the steps that we need to take to be free. In 1993, it was reported 
that a small order of Franciscan nuns in Prague decided to subsidize their convent by opening the downstairs of their facility. Now listen, the downstairs of their facility was formerly an underground detention center used by the communists to imprison and torture their enemies. They decided to open it as a hotel. Tell me who wants to stay there. So for $33 a night, you could stay in a former prison cell. Yes. The proprietors say that they try to achieve a middle ground between comfort and authenticity in the hotel. And I don't know about you, but I'm not looking to go and spend my night in a prison cell. But yet so many of us live our lives that way. Looking for a comfortable prison cell. I want to do just enough to be comfortable, but I don't want to do too much that's going to require me to change. And I just wonder if some of the prayers that we've stopped praying, some of the discouragement and the disillusionment that we felt comes from the fact that we haven't been willing to take the step that God needs us to take. See, I figured out why my kids love the pool. They love the pool in the summer because it's predictable. They love the pool because it has a deep end and it has a shallow end. And we know exactly how deep they are because they're marked by a little number sign. They love the pool because there are no waves to knock them over in the pool. The water is clear, unless someone pees. And there are no sharks, right? They can swim the entire length of the pool. My kids can. They know it. They can swim it. And they feel comfortable in the pool. Ultimately, there's nothing about the pool that scares them. See, we live in the best place in the world. People pay big money to come here. And we've got to stop just going to the pool of comfortability and get ourselves out to the beach. The beach is the wide open spaces. The beach can be a little bit intimidating sometimes, and you get a little bit dirty. You get sand in your pants. <laughs> sometimes you get knocked over by the waves. But the ocean is huge. The sky is the limit. The water is full of exotic creatures that are amazing, experiences that we've never had. We've got to sometimes get out of our comfortability and get out there. But some of us come to church like we go to a resort to lay out by the pool. My kids love going to resorts. They lay by the pool and they put up that little flag on the chairs. Somebody comes running over. How can I help you? Some of us come to church that way. Well, if the worship team can make me feel something, if the preacher can say something that's good, that maybe applies to my situation, Gosh, I hope it's Pastor Kerry and not his wife. <laughs> He'll make me laugh more. Hope people can take care of my kids. Some of us come to church in the same way that we go to a resort. But yet God wants to get us out of that. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 through 13, he's talking to the church, he says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much, much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. 
I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. I think Paul's saying, I know this might be hard to hear, and I'm saying it in love. Your lives aren't small, but hey, you might be living them in a small way. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. In other words, get up. Let your faith begin to rise again. Get up. It's time to pick up the mat and get rid of the fallback plan, and it's time to walk. Get up, pick up, and walk. It's time to open up our lives and live openly and expansively. What might God be asking you to do today? Where might God want to stir your faith up today? Where might he be calling you out into the ocean today? You see, when I got my kids to start to love the ocean, I grabbed both of their hands and I took them out through the sand into the waves. And they were scared of the waves. And the waves were coming at them, these big waves, and they were starting to run and retreat. And I held onto their hands and I pulled them forward. And I said, hold tight, hold tight. And the waves came by and we stayed standing. And another wave came and I said, hold tight, hold tight. And the waves come by and we stood standing. And the kids began to learn that they could get out in the ocean in the midst of the waves and that they were going to be okay. And the Bible promises us in Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Your circumstances don't have to overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned and the flame will not consume you. Jesus is saying, I promise that if you will get up, pick up and walk, I will go with you. You don't have to go this alone. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is his hand of action. God is perfectly capable of moving in your situation today. It doesn't matter how discouraged you have been. It doesn't matter how much doubt has overwhelmed you. It doesn't matter how long you have waited on that dream. It doesn't matter how far you have gone. It does not matter how you came into church this morning. God wants to hear the cries of your heart. He has answers to your prayers. And he is saying today, get up. It's time to get expectant for me to do something in your life. Maybe if you're here and you just have never experienced God before, maybe getting up for you today is just the willingness to say, God, I'll open my heart to see if you're real. I'll start reading this thing that has the promises in it. I'll get up. Maybe for some of you, you need to get up in your faith and start expecting God to move in your life, not just clock in and clock out in church but to show up and say, God, I want you to do something that changes me. And that's a scary place to be. But it's time to get up, to get up in our expectation, to get up in our faith. It's time to pick up the mat, stop having a fallback plan. And it's time to walk, to get out of the comfort zone, to step out in faith and to do the thing that God's calling you to do. The Bible says that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And for some of you who are needing to overcome an area in your life that you're struggling with, you need to know that there is freedom for you. You need to know that God has an answer for you, but it's going to require some steps of faith. It's going to require picking up that mat, and it's going to require taking a step forward, and you can't do it alone. You need people in your life to do it with you. Get up, pick up, and walk. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray for some people in this room. 
And if you're here today and you've been struggling in an area of hope, maybe you've been full of doubt, maybe you have struggled with the idea that God could actually do something that might change your situation. Maybe you've prayed for a long time for, for an answer and you just haven't seen it come to pass yet and you're just struggling with discouragement and disappointment and you need God to just give you a little hope and help you get up. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I'm raising mine. If that's you in this room and you'd like some prayer, there's hands going up all over the room, all over the room. And I just want to pray with you. If you're here today and you're struggling and you need some hope, I'm going to pray for you today. Jesus, I thank you for every man, woman, teenager in this room. God, I thank you that you are the God of hope. Lord, that you are the author and fulfiller of all of your promises. God, I pray today that you would stir our hearts with a confident expectation in who you are. God, that we would know that you are for us that you are not against us, that you are fighting for us, God, that you have the answer that we're praying for. God, I pray that you would help us to know that you are with us no matter what we're facing. God, I pray that you would give us the steps to take. Help us know where to pick up our mat. Help us know where to walk so that we can move in the direction you're calling us into. God, would you increase our faith and our expectation today? Begin to stir up hope within our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Before I leave the stage, and, and I've gone a little over time, let me just talk to those of you in the room who just might be struggling with even the idea of faith. And maybe you came in this room, maybe somebody dragged you to church, maybe just full of doubt on is, is this God even real? And I'm telling you, he won't force himself on you. But the Bible says in Revelation that he stands at the door and he knocks, just waiting for us to open the door. And the scripture tells us clearly in Romans that every single one of us has sinned. No one's perfect. And it says the punishment of sin is death and an eternity in hell. And that sounds bleak. But the Bible also promises us that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. See, God sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sins. And he gave his life on a cross so that we could have relationship with God. And if you're here in this room today and you've never given God the opportunity to be real in your life, I want to give you an opportunity right now. And I'm going to just ask everyone in the room just one last time, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if that's you, maybe you are here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Can I just challenge you, today's your day. And maybe you're here and you've just been running from God and, and you need to turn around and come back. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. And you can pray in your own hearts. You don't have to pray out loud. But everyone in the room, if that's you, would you pray with me right now? Dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for my sins. I know that he died on that cross to save me and to make a way for me to have relationship with you. Today, I ask for you to forgive me. And today I make a decision to surrender my life to you. And all around this room, if that's you, would you just in your own heart say these simple words, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.